Welcome, everyone. We're going to read this scripture. Then I'm going to introduce our speaker today, Alex Strout, for those of you who might not know him. Alex will be reading from the ESV. I've got the New American Standard here. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dear Heavenly Father, you are good to us. You are good to us to give us your Son and to send us to share that good news of what you've done and what you're doing with others. And you're good to us to give us things to do. Give us the commandments of Christ to be heard and obeyed, Father. And I pray that you would help us as we hear from our brother Alex today and as we go forth after this to share that old, old story and to call people to repentance, to faith, to obedience of Christ. Father, uh, we heard some good news this morning uh, from Orville Murphy, and we thank you for that, Lord. I know as we think about missions, we think about our people in the field. Uh, thank you for the good trip and the good communion with saints they had. And, Lord, we got a letter from Colin McDougal, too, and we pray for uh, them as they, as they try to serve and the hospitals try to serve in the midst of a strike of doctors and of nurses, Lord. And thank you for bringing that to our attention this morning. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, most of all. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So our brother Alex Strout uh, from Littleton Bible Chapel in Colorado, a very old and dear friend to this church, a very old and dear friend to many people in this church, and a longtime elder, teaching elder in Littleton has come to uh, share a word with us on the Great Commission. Alex is also an author. He's quite a prolific author, and many, uh, many people know him through uh, the Biblical Eldership resource website, and many people know him from his book on Biblical Eldership. Alex, we'd like to uh, welcome you up and, and thank you for coming to uh, speak with us. Well, it's good to be with you again. In fact, I remember coming up here the last time, and who remembers what I spoke about? Is there any geniuses in the audience? I think I did Psalm 133, but you just threw me off there. That might have been the time before. But give him a prize, if you give any prizes. All right, let's get serious now. And I'd like you to take your notes out, and it would be nice if you had the text out before you too. We just read it. The Greatness of the Great Commission. But notice the subtitle, which is what I want to emphasize, Fostering a Passion for the Great Commission in the local church. Now, I brought a little illustration with me so we don't forget. People seem to not forget illustrations. They forget the whole message, but they remember illustrations. There's a very, very famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi. Very famous, won many, many games. And there's this story told about him that every single year when they would start the football season, he would hold up a football, and say to the players, Gentlemen, 
this is a football. And then he would proceed to go over all the basics of football. He believed that you can't go over the basics enough. And you have to remember the rules and remember the key plays. And he was very successful. Well, why have I done this? Because today we're going to look at the final marching orders of our Lord Jesus Christ. The basics. And here's what's interesting. Most people I talk to, even missionaries, don't really understand the full-orbited teachings of the Great Commission. Now, in our church, we're so committed to the Great Commission that one time we were thinking, it was a brilliant thought that came across our minds, what should be our church's vision for missionaries? And we had all kinds of ideas. And then someone very brilliantly said, how about what Jesus said? The Great Commission. And we said, that's really smart. That will be our mission statement. So, for many, many years, once in a while we don't, just to trick the people. But every year in January, we preach this sermon. Now, each time we do it a little differently so that people don't get up and leave. But we go over every year. We just did it about a month and a half ago. We went over the basics, the basics of the commission that Christ gave us as he left this earth. It is for the whole church. It is for every one of us to know the full great commission and what we are to do. So let's look at it afresh. It's always good to hear from someone else on these things. Notice, first of all, the greatness of the author. The greatness of the author. And in a sense, this is the key to the whole great commission. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The 11 disciples, possibly the 500 mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when they see him, their response is to worship him. Notice the Gospel of Matthew starts out with people coming from the east to worship him, and it ends with his followers worshiping him. Now, I want to remind you, these are Jews, not Gentiles. Gentiles, they'll worship anything, snakes, rocks. They'll worship people, but not Jews. God had taught them one thing in the exile. Do not go back to idolatry. And they did learn that one lesson. So for the disciples to worship him, it must mean he is worthy of worship. And he receives their worship. He does not rebuke them like the angel rebuked John when he tried to do that. We worship our teacher. Now, we don't worship teachers, but we worship the one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is totally worthy to be worshipped. So this is the one who's giving the command, the one we worship. And that's what we just did moments ago. We came here... Not to hear a teaching, but to focus our entire mind and our hearts on Jesus Christ. And through the elements, we worshiped him this morning. That's our teacher. Second, the greatness of his claim. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If this is not true, this is sheer madness. Who has ever said all authority in 
heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you realize no one has ever conquered the whole earth? No, no conqueror, no monarch has ever taken the possession of the entire earth. No less the heavens. Jesus said, to me has been given universal authority in heaven and upon earth. Now, in the Greek text, given to me is placed in an emphatic first position. To me has been given by God the Father universal authority over all the angels, all the demonic hosts, over this whole universe, over this earth. Been given to me. Now, it's very interesting. In the Gospel of Matthew, the first person pronoun floods the book. And we see it right here at the end. If you ever looked at the, the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus said this. The rabbis, the teachers, the scholars say this. I say to you. All through the book of Matthew. In other words, Christ's unique, universal authority as a teacher and master is emphasized in the book of Matthew. Watch for that first person pronoun through this. So literally it says, given to me is all authority both in heaven and on earth. That means that our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, as the teacher of all teachers as our Savior, has a universal message. Now, this is important because if you go to Asia, and I've heard this many times, if you go to Asia, people will say something like this to you. We don't want Christianity. It's a Western religion. Have you ever heard that? It's a Western religion. It's not an Eastern religion. Christianity is not a Western religion. I know this is hard to believe, but Jesus was not an American. Jesus never even went to America. He's an Easterner, a Mid-Easterner with tan skin, dark hair. He doesn't look like me. Let me tell you that. Christianity is not a local religion. It's a universal religion for all nations and all tribes and all people and all languages. So, this is Christ's last, final self-claim. He says, to me has been given universal authority, and you are to spread that message. Third, the greatness of the commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, notice the therefore. That therefore says, in light of all authority given to me, I can say, go. In other words, the therefore gives us his authority to give the command, to set the vision, to open all doors, and to protect those who take his universal message out to the world. Now, notice here, by this statement, go therefore, make disciples, Jesus is saying, I'll be with you. I have your back covered. This is actually a wonderful word of assurance. Jesus is king of the universe, so his disciples can move out. They have his full backing. The therefore should fill disciples with boundless confidence as they go out. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, I make this claim to you. Now, let's look at the core of the Great Commission. It's a marvelous commission. 
And we need to know every aspect of it so we carry out the full Great Commission. And I'll show you how we get around the full Great Commission. So the full Great Commission starts with the core statement. The main verb is disciple, a verb, disciple, or your translation may say make disciples. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great command of our Lord. Now, the verb is disciple. It's an action. But remember, the noun is disciple. Now, we often say we are believers. We have many terms for ourselves, saints, believers. But this term, disciple, emphasizes we're pupils, we're learners, we're students, we're imitators, we're committed followers. Someone has uh, defined discipleship this way or a disciple this way. In a general sense, we may define a disciple as a committed follower of a great master. Let me read that again. In general sense, we may define a disciple as a committed follower of a great master. My friends, we have a great master. And we're his students. We're his learners. We imitate him. We follow him. We devote ourselves to him. Now, how do you make disciples? Well, basically, it starts with the process of giving the gospel. Actually, the Great Commission is a universal command to world evangelism. In Acts 14, 21, we read, And when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples. So in Matthew's gospel, uh, someone who's been converted is a believer, yes, but he's more than a believer. He's a disciple. He's a committed follower of a great master. Now, the core of this, and what I would call not the Great Commission, but the great shock is about about what our Lord is going to say. He says, make disciples of all nations. Now, this is the shock. Remember, they knew that they were going to be sent out because back in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said to them, I will make you fishers of men. So they knew this. They knew they were being trained. They knew they would continue his teaching. That was obvious. What they didn't know, or they didn't know clearly, is what is said in these final words of our Lord, all nations. They understood Jerusalem, Judea, yes, even Samaria. But then, to the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8, to the ends of the earth, this message must be told to all people. It's a universal message for all to hear. It is a great commission to all nations. John Mills says, God offers no tiny gospel. Broadus said, Christianity is essentially a missionary religion. And famous Eric Zauer, German scholar said, missionary work is a divine must. Remissions of sin should and must be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It is not left to our choice whether or not we will testify to the work of the message of the cross. And Leonard Gottpelt says this, According to Acts, from the earliest beginnings, the church's missionary work was the most important expression of life in the congregation of Jesus. 
And then John Wesley said these words, the world is my parish. <clears throat> the world is my parish. So here's my message to you today. If you are a born again believer, you know Jesus Christ. You're a globalist. You're a internationalist. You have a commission to the ends of the earth. It's a worldwide commission. And what I want to say to you today is that we need to develop that mentality in our minds. Now, I know what you're thinking. I've got enough on my plate. I can't be thinking of the whole world. I teach Sunday school. I teach small group. I teach at Awana. I have a ministry with older people. Well, that's wonderful. This is not an either-or situation. You are to continue the works you have and at the same time, at the same time, you're under a great commission. You're a globalist. You, you have an international, you have a worldwide view of things. And in everything we do, it should come out in some way, even with the children, even in Bible study. I have my ministry. Often it's a local ministry. And at the same time, I have to understand I'm under a great commission. And I have to have that worldview, that world interest in what God is doing throughout the world. And in a sense, we are all to be missionaries in the sense of praying, thinking, strategizing, interest, and that should become part of the DNA of the whole church. It's the fundamental last thing our Lord said. Reach all nations with what I've done. Now, we just took the Lord's Supper and we took that Lord's Supper not to some vain tradition, but we believe in it that Christ commanded it because it was his central work. Now, if it's true that he died upon the cross for our sins and only through the atoning work of Christ can sins be forgiven and the promise of eternal life, if this is really true, it is undoubtedly the most important message in all of history, the most important event in all of history. Our salvation is secured by what Christ did upon that cross. And then he rose from the dead. He's at God's right. He's coming back again. Think that's important? Do you? Then everyone must be told that. It's that important that we go to the ends of the earth. Every tribe, every nation will be as a result of preaching the gospel at the throne of God in that day. We're involved in a worldwide movement. And I know we get all caught up in the daily activities. I know this, that we're so over busy and we're running like chickens with our head off. But at the same time, you must never forget the global mission that has been given to us. It has to be kept in balance with everything else we do. Our prayers need to reflect that. Our interests need to reflect that. The message of Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose from the dead must go to the ends of the earth. It's the universal message. It's a universal religion. It's not just for local yokels in America or in Dallas, Texas. Now, I want to remind you that the idea of universal blessing to the world is not new in the Gospels. Genesis 12, at the very dawn of human civilization, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And then Israel, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Acts 13, Daniel 7, 14. Israel was to be a light to all nations. In a polytheistic world, 
Israel was to be the light of the one true God. But they failed because of their worldliness. Now, we've got to resist at all costs the new modern thought of tolerance. And we have no right. We're told this. We have no right going around the world and trying to change people and proselyte people. And you see this today in many, many countries. They want no proselyting. It's against the law to change people's religion. You can be killed for that. If you remember a couple of years ago, a couple, a number of young people in Afghanistan were there to help Christian young people, and they were martyred. And you would think in the European papers there would be sympathy for them. There was no sympathy. The question was, what are they doing there anyway? They don't even belong there. Leave those people alone. Don't try to change them. This is very common. You'll hear this. And so a lot of people do back off. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't want to change people. God does. He wants them all to hear about his son. Now, there's a real hypocrisy here. And it's big time hypocrisy. We are told by secular society, you cannot preach one way to God. That's intolerance and bigotry and narrow-mindedness. But who's propagating their idea day and night, 24 hours a day? The secular humanists on TV, movies, university, internet, the music. They are selling their secular message and they're good at it. How do you think all these big social revolutions happened in the last 20 years? How do you think they happened? Quiet little people hiding under their beds? No. Very clever people that are good teachers using the media of television to teach us remove all those sexual barriers. Remove all those social issues. And they are aggressive. And they intimidate us. And they shock us. And they want to hammer us into the ground. Don't you propagate, but we will propagate. You know why? They believe they're right. They believe we're really wrong. Well, I believe they're wrong and we're really right. But they tell us we can't do this. Do not listen to that lie. Can I remind you that Satan hates the Great Commission? He really does. He hates Christ and he hates the gospel. He tried to kill Christ a number of times. In fact, Satan hates every word of the Great Commission, every comma, every period in the Great Commission. He hates it when the darkness is penetrated by light or anyone is saved. Because he's the God of this world. He's blinded the eyes of the unbeliever. Doesn't like it that you carry out the Great Commission. So as soon as you try to carry out the Great Commission, evangelize or fossilize, he gets real angry, upset. Now, along with the major verb, disciple, all nation, and the major shock, all nations, not just Jerusalem, to the end of the earth, there comes two other participles. There's actually three. Look at the first one. The first one we normally have in our Bibles, going or go. Although this is a participle, it's really a command by the very context itself. But I like a new translation of that by Frederick Dale Bruner. Move out. Get moving. Be reaching out. So, let's translate it this way. Move out. Disciple all nations. That sort of gets the modern idea. 
And then there follows two more participles, and those participles are baptizing and teaching. Now, I just want to make one comment here of, of great need. It's a great, great need. Right now, we're living at a time when the second generation of post-war World War II are retiring. The, the first great, great wave of missionaries came right after World War II. Actually, World War II created a whole missionary generation, people that had been to Europe, been to Asia, and they went back. They went back. So good came out of that. And they were great missionaries, by the way. They're dead now. We just buried in our church this year a lady and husband who went to Japan for 48 years, and she was in her 90s, and she died. That generation now is just about almost all gone. They did a great work, and the world was open to the gospel because of the disaster of World War II. And I, I would like to say to you, the work in Japan is going on strong. I've been there now twice, and there's five assemblies. There are six and seven assemblies. Very, very encouraging. Very encouraging. That generation's dead. Now, the second, next generation, they're retiring now. Not dying, retiring, coming home. We have it in our own church. A number of our missionaries are stepping off the field or slowing down or changing. So here's the problem. We're not replacing them right now. We're not finding young men. We can get a, young women who want to go to the mission field, but where's the young men? Well, it's very comfortable here. Who'd want to go to Africa? Bad news. A lot of problems there. I mean, it's comfortable here in Dallas. Nice weather? Well, sometimes. You can get a good income, get yourself a nice home, nice uh, car, take nice vacations, eat some good food. you got restaurants every place. I've never seen so many restaurants. You must be hungry people. Every, every block has not, they don't have a restaurant. They got about four in a row. Who wants to leave this and go to a hostile world who really doesn't want you anyway? You know, 2015 was the highest martyrdom of Christians in, in, in decades. Were 5,000 Christians killed. You think of the churches that have been bombed. People in them when they're bombed in Pakistan. And in Africa, there are many dangerous places. And the world's getting more and more dangerous. So who'd want to go? So we have a problem. We have a big problem. And that is, where's the recruits for the future? We need them now. We need them young. And we need to start getting prepared now. So what do we do? Well, Luke 10:2, The harvest is plentiful. We know that. But the laborers are few. We also know that. Therefore, pray earnestly, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. We need to be praying that God will send young people. Let me just give a couple ideas about how to put world missions, world evangelism in the hearts of young people. Here's a couple ways to do it. One is biographies. That's what stirred my heart at 14 and 15 years of age. I was given the book Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. I was never the same. You can't be. When you're young, you're idealistic, you're looking for role models, you got too much energy, you're bouncing off the walls like a BB in a boxcar, and you need to throw a vision out in front of young people. Biographies are a way to capture their mind. Send them on short-term mission trips. Many practical things you can do, but here's one we rarely think about, even as a church. Missionary comes, reports to us, what do we do? Here is report, give him his check. God bless you, brother. Bad news, don't do that. When a missionary comes, and I've talked to many, many missionaries about this even very, very recently. When a missionary comes, don't just hear his report and say, goodbye, God bless you. Here's your $50 check. Maybe you can get out of Dallas at this. 
meet with the missionary, have them to your home with young people, and then ask a lot of questions. First of all, the missionary might have a shock, so be careful. They could have a heart attack that you show so much interest in them. So be careful. Come up slowly on the side. I have learned so much from missionaries about the Lord's work and about the problems on the field and about the world and about culture. Culture is very, I find it very interesting, all the different cultures of the world and the different habits and the way people do things. I learned this from a man named Mr. Paul B. Sapp, who was a, a great visionary for young people, trained more young people than any man I ever met. And whenever a missionary would come by our area, we went to lunch with him. And I'm talking three-hour lunches where we would ask lots of questions. And I'll never forget, as a young man in my early 20s, we, went, we met with Mr. Alan Crane, who had been 40-some years with the China Inland Mission. The stories he had were so... I thought he was from another planet. Unbelievable stories of how a cobra appeared on a mantle in China, and the, the village was against him. He thought he was going to be killed. And when that cobra appeared on the mantle of one of the chief elders of the village... They said, God is speaking to us. I mean, a story after story like that. Lost his wife, lost some children. Great, great missionary. And so we ended our three-hour conversation with Alan Crane, which seemed like 20 minutes. I said, Mr. Crane, what is the most important lesson? He said this, God is faithful to his servants. You can trust him. When missionaries come, don't just let them do their little report. Meet with them. Ask questions. Get the young people with them. You, you monitor it. Take one, a missionary out. Ask about the culture. Ask about the problems. What are the good things? What are the people like? What are the problems you face? What's the church like? You will learn so much. You will learn so much. And through those encounters, it encourages the missionaries because many of them get discouraged. They go to churches and there's no interest beyond the meeting. It's like, hey, nice that you're here. Good luck. God bless you. I got to get home. Good TV show on tonight. Don't want to miss it. Use the missionary and learn from the missionary. That's a way to stir up missions in the hearts of young people. We've got to do this. We need young people with a vision for the Great Commission. Now, two parts of the Great Commission here that's often forgotten. Baptizing them, number two in your outline, baptizing them, the new disciples, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Do you know many people do not realize baptism is a part, of the Holy, uh, a part of the Great Commission? It's a part of it? I've read books on discipleship, and it never mentions baptism. Baptism has fallen on hard times, by the way. I am meeting constantly young people who have been saved, and they've not been baptized. And no one's even really talked to them about baptism. We had a young couple uh, come to our church, and they uh, wanted to meet with the elders, and they said, we want to go on a short-term mission trip. So they said, oh, wonderful. So we're talking with them, and someone came up with a brilliant idea. Well, when were you baptized? Oh, we've never been baptized. Wait, hold it. You want to go to the mission field? Want to be a missionary? Short-term mission? You haven't even been baptized? You haven't taken step number one of obedience to the master? What kind of disciple are you? No, you're not going to any mission field. Get baptized first. Then we might think about it. Unbelievable. In fact, if you want to know how, how troubled this is, when you look at literature today and the literature will tell you the great commission watch out for those three dots disciple all nations dot 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 an ellipsis lo i am with you always do you know there are whole mission organizations and i'm not going to mention names so someone doesn't come up and uh, beat me on the head 
they don't baptize and they don't teach all that Jesus commanded. That's not their mission, they say. But then don't use the Great Commission because you're not carrying it out. It's the half Great Commission. It's the part Great Commission. We're discipling people. Well, if you don't baptize them, you're not discipling. End of story. And uh, I see this all over today. Baptism has fallen on hard times. Ask any missionary this question. What's the key moment in your missionary work? And here's what they'll tell you. Getting people baptized. People will make a profession of faith. They'll come to a Bible study. They won't leave their church. And they won't be baptized. It's a key moment in a missionary's life that they come in public testimony of their identification with Christ. If you have never been baptized, you are not an obedient disciple. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, just do what he says. It's real simple, isn't it? And he wants you to publicly be baptized. Your identification with his death, death, and resurrection, and all that's involved in salvation. And then he wants you to regularly remember him in his chief work. Baptism is a part of discipleship making and a part of the Great Commission. Let us not eliminate it. Then notice the next part here. Teaching them to observe, obey all that I have commanded you. Let's break that down into two parts. Teaching disciples to obey all that Christ commanded. Now, at the beginning, Christ was the teacher. When people saw Jesus Christ, they said, teacher, rabbi. He was the greatest teacher who ever graced this earth. People who actually heard Jesus, actually with their ears, said, we have never heard anyone like him. He stirred up the people with his teaching. We often put people to sleep with our teaching, but he stirred them up. However, there was a moment in which he was going to leave this earth and they were to be the teachers now. He sent them out to teach all that Christ had taught and teach them to obey it. Now, I want to remind you of one thing. We have many good teachers. You have very good teachers here in your church. But Jesus said you only have one teacher. There's only one teacher. We have many teachers, but there's only one. And that, and that is because we don't teach our favorite little thought or our philosophy. All Christian teachers do one thing and one thing only. They teach what Christ taught and they teach people to obey what Christ commanded. So any teacher who departs from the teaching of Christ, just show them where the door is. They're teaching their own doctrine. So many teachers, but only one teacher. Because the many teachers only, only teach what Christ taught, what the great master taught. That's why Jesus says you only have one teacher, Matthew 23. Now, I want you to notice also here, and this is very important. We don't just teach. It's not just cognitive teaching. Here are the facts, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the information. Here's the data. We teach people. Can anyone help me at this point? That will come next. Obey. That's obedience-oriented teaching. So, at ETS, ETS means Evangelical Theological Society, the Society of Bible-Believing Evangelicals. They meet every year in November. So one year, about seven or eight years ago, they have a theme. Every year there's a theme. This past year they met in November here in Texas, and the theme was uh, the Trinity. Well, one year the theme was teach them all things. That was the theme. Now, of course, the academics gave that, and they put in what? The three dots. Teach them dot, dot, dot. All things. What did they leave out? 
teach them to obey, to follow. And the missiologists caught that right away. And they said, hold it, that's not the Great Commission. You see, the academics think information, information, facts. Pass the test or fail the test. But Jesus said, no, I want you to teach them to obey. So I could give you right now a stunning lecture on baptism. How many would like a stunning lecture on baptism? I'll tell you all the views of baptism. You don't want that, I can see. That's not good enough. I must see that you are baptized. Or it's not good enough. Because the Christian life is a life to be lived. It's a life that follows the commands of Christ. So when we teach in the church, yes, we give information, we give data, we give all these things, but it must lead to transformation, information to transformation, that you live this teaching. In fact, the Lord Jesus gave serious warnings to anyone who heard his teaching but did not carry it out. Very serious warnings. And James gave the warning, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The danger of saying, Lord, Lord, hearing the word but failing to obey it and to practice it. We're to be practitioners of the truth. It's to be transformation. We're to be different people. And what are we to be like? Well, the end goal is Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher. But when, any, when anyone is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. The goal, the goal of all our teaching right now is to move all of us to Christ-like attitudes, behavior, and, and action. The goal of sanctification is to be like the Master, to be like Christ. When you're fully trained, you'll be like Christ. That's the goal of our teaching. Be careful of the danger of just information, information. I know pastors that have been in large churches and left because all the people wanted was to be gluttonized with a lot of facts of the Bible. Give them a Greek verb and, you know, they water from the mouth. But no one wanted to change. Didn't even want to meet in small groups. It was just an information center. So our teaching is to be obedient-oriented. There's to be life change. And we're to be like Christ. We're to follow what Christ says, not just the information. Then he says, teaching them all that Christ has commanded. Notice here that, the, notice again, the first person, singular, all that I have commanded. The whole Great Commission is totally Christocentric. It's all centered on Christ. Get the name of Christ out. Get the teaching of Christ out. We're just the instruments. That's all we are. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ because the whole Bible is about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that. He, he took those men on the Emmaus Road. I would have loved to have been there, by the way. They had Bible study while they're walking. Best kind of Bible study because you can't fall asleep or you knock your head off. So they're walking along the road and he gave them Bible teaching. And he said, now listen, I'm going to take you through Moses and the prophets. I'm going to show you. They all are concerning me. If I said that to you, it would be insanity and you should probably... Not ask me back again. It would be, be laughable, actually, if I said the whole Moses spoke of me and the prophet spoke of me. You, you, you're, you're already laughing. I can see some of you laughing. Ha, ha, this is a funny joke. But it wasn't a joke when Jesus said it and people didn't laugh. You know why? It's true. The Bible is a... Moses spoke of Christ. All the prophets spoke of Christ. All the symbolism spoke and pointed to Christ. Christ is the center of our life. It's not a... Philosophy, it's a person who's at the center of everything. And we're to be like him and follow him 
in all things. Now, he says here, teach them all things. Don't leave anything out. Not your, not your hobby horse type of church. You can go to a church. Literally, I've been to churches. Prophecy, 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 prophecy. You go to another church. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You don't know anything else. You need a balanced teaching. All that Christ taught. Now, this is important because the Apostle Paul said he did the exact same thing. He said, I taught you the whole counsel of God. Acts chapter 20. I taught you the whole redemptive plan. Here's a sad thing today. Many, many Christians, if not most Christians, have no mental concept of the whole development of the Bible. It's a story. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Sin, curse, redemption, the law, new heavens, new earth. So it's a storyline. And, and the books of the Bible fit in the progressive revelation of the story. Most Christians, if you ask them about the storyline, the covenants, or the development, moving to Christ, they don't, they don't even have a picture in their brain. They have no idea where the books of the Bible fit. Maybe they read the Bible a little bit here, a little there, like little you know, raindrops coming down. We need to teach the people the whole storyline. And Paul could say to the Ephesian elders, I'm free from your blood. I gave you the entire whole counsel of God. You got it all. Can't tell you more. Genesis to Revelation, the redemptive story where you fit in it. Let's make sure in our teaching we have strategy in what we're doing. And when you get a new convert, when you get a new convert or a new believer or an untaught believer, take them through the story. And there's some very, very good books that will take you through the whole Bible story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 with charts and pictures that, oh, I see it's a developing story. And when people see God's full plan... People get saved or they grow. Now, many, 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 many more things to say. But this is the full Great Commission. We must baptize people. We must teach them the full teachings of Christ and teach them to live this out. And we live it out in the community. No one lives it out all alone, by the way. And that's why the local church is so important. We live these things out together in the community. No man's connected to Christ alone. We're connected to Christ with a body. Members one of another. That's how we grow together. Now, the final word, and I'll close with this because I am so worried about those Sunday school down teachers down there with those little brats. I mean, oh, excuse me, those little angels. And um, they're probably clamoring now for release. So let's close here with the, the great promise. Actually, it's a great assurance. The greatest Greatness of his promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to notice it begins with a behold. Look, hey, pay attention about what I am about to say. I, notice the first person plural again, it's all about Christ. I am with you always. This is more assurance actually than promise. It's a present tense. I myself am there with you. Don't worry, I'll be there. I, the emphatic person. Frederick Dale Bruner goes on to say this. This great commission with its great promise of the presence of the great person. Every missionary needs this. And he says, I'm with. That word with is used throughout the whole Old Testament of divine protection, defense, enablement, assurance, success. God was with Joseph. God was with Moses, and Jesus concludes, I'm with you. I've got your back. 
I will accompany you wherever you go. The farthest reaches of the earth, I'm with you. You will never go alone. And then he says, always. That's literally all the days. Not some days, good days, bad days, all the days. I am with you. And then he says, to the end of the age. Not to the end of your ministry or the end of your life, but to the end of the age. The consummation of time. Here's why this is important. Back in the days of William Carey, which started the great modern missionary movement, it was believed, and many of you heard these stories, it was believed that the Great Commission was for the Twelve Apostles, and when they died, it was, it was done. It was not for us today. People believe that. And William Carey had to stand up against this teaching that God will save the heathen whenever he wants. He doesn't need you, William Carey. But notice what it says, to the end of the age, not to the end of the disciples' life, not to the end of their ministry. It's to the generations that would come later, to the consummation of this age. I'm with you. I've got you. You can be assured of this. And so the Great Commission is for every generation. It's not just for the 12 apostles. Jesus' promise of accompaniment right up to the end means the invincibility of his church and the message of the cross. May the Great Commission be the DNA of your church. You say, I'm not going to the mission field, but you're still a world Christian. You're part of a worldwide movement. You're part of the global vision. So wherever you are, you're a part of it. It rests upon you. It needs to be brought into your present ministry. You need to watch the news. You need to know what's going on in the world. Because what's going on in the world affects our missionaries and affects the Great Commission. As the world is becoming more and more outwardly hostile to the gospel, it's getting tougher. Every missionary will tell you it's getting tougher. There's more deaths, more persecution, more marginalization. The Great Commission is our commission. And whatever you're doing, wherever God has placed you, it needs to be your mentality. And the whole mentality of the Great Commission. Let's close in prayer. Father, may we as a local church be a Great Commission church. May we have the mentality of a globalist, an internationalist. May we be world Christians, Great Commission Christians. May we see the part that we play in the Great Commission. And we all have a part. May it saturate our ministry. May it be a guiding vision in what we do. Protect us from small-mindedness. Protect us from selfishness from ignorance of your great plan that we might foster a vision in the local church of the Great Commission. May we teach the Great Commission to our missionaries. May they understand the full command of Christ. And may they carry it out in their ministry. We ask this in the name of our Lord. Amen.